Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories. I'm Laura Sherry, your host for today. And boy, do I have an exciting guest on the line. We are going to be talking about an epic fishing adventure I just had in uh, British Columbia, Canada on the Fraser River with um, Eve Besson. And he is the owner operator of Fraser River Sturgeon Fishing Charters. And um, we're going to talk about fishing for white sturgeon. Eve, welcome to the Minnesota Bound Podcast. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me, Laura. I'm really, really excited to chat all things sturgeon with you. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm so excited to have you on today because I, um, you know, it was kind of a bucket list trip for me to, um, go out in the water with you. And I originally found, I told you this already, but I originally found you through Instagram of all things. And I have a thing for chasing trophy fish and part of the joy of doing that is releasing them back into the water. And we'll, we'll start chatting about that. But I, um, when I saw your Instagram page, I saw the white sturgeon and how beautiful of a fish it is and how huge they were. And I thought to myself, I have to make this happen. So, um, just a few weeks ago, it was actually on July 4th, Dan, my boyfriend and I, um, booked a trip with you and we had the time of our lives. So, um, I'm so excited to have you on today. Well, that's great. I'm really, really happy you both had a great trip. And uh, yeah, I remember it obviously very well. We just had it and <laughs> caught some amazing fish. So yeah, that's great. We, we did. And you know, um, we have Lake Sturgeon here in Minnesota and okay. um, they're quite yep. different than um, the white sturgeon. And the white sturgeon, for those that don't know, is the largest freshwater fish in North America. And when I hopped on your boat, you said you've been a fishing guide and doing this for, I don't know how it's possible, but I believe you said it's been over 20 years now. Is that correct? 20, this is my 20th year of, of having a guide license for sturgeon. Yeah. 20? So quite a long time. Yeah. Seen what a lot of, got, <laughs> a lot what of bites, a lot in, of fish. Yes. On. Oh my goodness. What got you into first into sturgeon fishing and what is like your passion behind fishing for sturgeon? Ah, it's a good question because this one is this one's interesting because when I moved to BC 27 years ago, I had no intentions of sturgeon fishing. I didn't even know what a sturgeon was actually. Um, I loved to fish, and my passion when I first moved here was all walking and wading, especially steelheading and fishing rivers. And my friend invited me on a sturgeon trip, and um, I didn't even know what they were. And we sat in a boat all day, and I hate to even say this, but the guide we had was super grumpy. He oh, no. did not want us. He did not want us to even touch the rod, set the hook. His half of the boat, our half of the boat. It was the most miserable experience I ever had. <laughs> and we caught one fish all day in an eight-hour trip. And I just remember thinking, man, I can't believe people pay to do that. You know, have this guy be grumpy and kind of get mad at you and for doing things wrong. And um, so that was my introduction. Oh, no. And then for for many years, I never even thought twice about it. And I continued, you know, my passion for steelheading and and trout and salmon. And then, you know, one day I got asked for a friend if I would go back out. And I was like, yeah, I'll try this again. And I just remember being able to set the hook for the first time on a sturgeon. 
and the excitement and the size and the jump. And I was like, okay, this is something I can get into. And that's kind of how, you know, my passion and my love for sturgeon started was, was when I finally went out and had, you know, a good experience. And then, you know, the rest is kind of history, but that's, uh, you know, I went from thinking, man, this is, you know, not the greatest fishery to now it's obviously what I do every day. Every single day. And that's, what's, you know, incredible about white sturgeon in particular is they are actually a prehistoric, um, fish that can, you know, they can be over, is it, they can grow to be over a hundred years old. Is that right? Can you kind of explain like what, what is a white sturgeon? Cause when you see it, it does look like a dinosaur. Yeah. I mean, they're very different looking. Um, and one of the kind of, you know, odd parts is, is I'm completely colorblind. So I see shades of color, but I see these, these magnificent sturgeon. And I just always think to myself, man, there's so much beauty, the patterns, the details. And, um, you know, even though I don't see the colors, um, they are, they are very prehistoric looking. A lot of people think that, you know, this fish is, a lot of people call it the dinosaur fish. Um, a lot of people reference it to Ogopogo, uh, which I think sturgeon are. And, um, yeah, they're very, very unique, and they can live easily to 100 years. I mean, we're we're picking up tags in sturgeon right now that have been – I got a fish just two days ago that was tagged 25, 25 or 26 years ago. So, really? And it was only six and a half or just shy of seven feet. So, yeah, I think they can live for even – I think at least a hundred years, some of the oldest ones. That's incredible. The one that we caught earlier in the day, which was a, um, I like to say a smaller fish, even though it was over six feet. Oh, yeah. That's not small. <laughs> smaller of the two, um, actually yeah. of the three, but, um, I think the one when we scanned its tag, it's microchip. It was also about 20 years ago that it was, it was tagged with the microchip. So that was really cool. And, you know, reading over, um, your website, you can find a lot of great information about sturgeon, but, um, sturgeon, you know, I was reading, they can grow to be over 12 feet long and can exceed up to a thousand pounds. Yeah. It's crazy. Hey. And have I you mean, seen one that size? um, not 12, but I personally have caught my largest that I've caught is 11 foot four and a half. And it wow. probably was in the vicinity of seven to 800 pounds. So, you know, there's still some out there that have yet to you know, been landed. I've heard lots of stories of guys hooking them in and around 12 feet. But in our tagging data that's been running for just around 22 years, 23 years, around 11 and a half is the largest that's been, you know, caught and recorded. So as you can imagine, there's recreational fishermen that love to stretch the tape and you know, of course. They're fishermen and fishermen. It's, this it's is like, what we all do. <laughs> yeah. So I've heard of 12, 13 footers, but documented <laughs> and measured the way we do, which is to the fork of the tail, around 11 and a half feet is the largest that's that's been caught in the river. And I have to say, we were really um, specific with our measuring for sure that um, we were very honest about that. And I think <laughs> the one that um, got all the love on Instagram was eight feet, two inches long. So that was wow. a, 
a great fish. Um, and we were estimating, there's no way to weigh the fish, of course, but I think we were guessing it was over 200 pounds. It felt like it was over 500 pounds, to be honest. <laughs> but- <laughs> um, oh yeah, no, 200's way on the very conservative side. I mean, usually an eight foot fish is between 240 and 280 pounds. So okay, that eight, feels eight about right. Two, yeah, eight foot two probably is somewhere in the 260 to 320 range, depending on the, the girth. But um, yeah, I mean, I remember that fish, obviously, because the pictures we were able to get into clear water, which is super rare. And at this time of the year, because the river's so high and muddy and things just worked out for us. But uh, yeah, no, that, that, that's a big, big fish. Anything kind of over 100 pounds, in my opinion, is a big fish to catch in fresh water. So it was yeah. so cool. And one thing that you pointed out that I loved is um, their skulls are they're, you, they're hard as a rock. I mean, you can kind of like knock on it and it's really <laughs> yeah. thick. I mean, they have very thick cartilage there. Yeah, it's, it's a very hard skull, uh, kind of like humans. I mean, it sounds odd, but I make all these comparisons to humans. You know, they, they're very durable fish. They, you know, they can take all sorts of, you know, deformities. And, you know, I've seen them with no eyes, half a gill plate, broken uh, back even, missing fins, and they continue to grow and live. And the skull is incredibly hard, just like a human. And lots of people that I talk to, um, when you used to be able to retain fish, would hit them on the head, but really you're just knocking them out. So 20 minutes later, they would just, you know, start flipping around again. I mean, obviously I've never seen, it's always been catch and release since I moved here 27 years ago. I could never imagine, you know, retaining a fish, um, just because I'm passionate about, you know, catching them, treating them well, conservation and releasing them. But um, yeah, the skulls are kind of unique. It is so unique. And, you know, if you haven't seen um, a white sturgeon up close, of course, um, Eve has plenty of them on his Instagram account and I have (laughs) mine posted on my Instagram account, but they have this almost beautiful snowflake pattern on, um, on their body. And they also have like the brightest blue eyes, which is so interesting. Oh, interesting. (laughs) I didn't pick that up. Yes. And I don't know if all of them do, but the one that, I mean, I guess the fish where I got the closest to it is when I was able to hop in the water with it and I saw its blue eyes, but also they have these like little spikes that go down their um, spine on their back. And I don't know if, if that's a prehistoric you know, element that's still left over, or do they use those for some sort of defense mechanism? Because they are, they're not super sh- sharp, but they're almost like little uh, quills that go down. Yeah. Back. Those are called the scoots. Um, okay. the scoots. So they run along the side, the top, and they do have them on the bottom too. So there's generally five sets of scoot lines on a sturgeon. And uh, typically when they're younger, they're very, very sharp. And that's just, uh, you know, so predators don't get them and they're, you know, they can kind of protect themselves. Generally speaking, as they get older, most of them, uh, the sharpness leaves that fish. However, I, I still see a lot of fish um, with very sharp scoots that are very large. So um, I've seen eight, nine, ten footers with very sharp scoots. So, you know, I hear a lot of people say they grind off over time. Um, and there is, there is some that they definitely do. But some just genetically have incredibly sharp scoots. And they can cut you up real good. They can cut the line. Um, 
Yeah, so it's really interesting just all the little details on these fish. I mean, most people, when they see one, it's just so different from a regular fish. A lot of people are just actually in awe. I've even had people overwhelmed with emotion. I've seen people cry. I've seen people <laughs> scream of fear or excitement. I mean, I've seen it all, obviously. But yeah, every time I look at them, you know, I see different patterns and shades of colors. And yeah, you're right. They're very, very neat looking fish. Hewitt docks, lifts, and pontoon legs began in a small south-central Minnesota town with a mission to make dock install and removal easier by inventing the roller dock. Well, now the company has evolved to provide everything you might need to improve your lake time. In addition to the classic roller dock or the new ultra dock system, Hewitt offers all-terrain staircases, gangways, canopies, and lifts, along with any accessory you might need. Celebrate 50 years of business with us. Go to HewittRad.com to enter for a chance to win a free dock and monthly prizes. Hewitt docks, lifts, and pontoon legs. Work hard, play harder. You deserve a Hewitt. Hey, it's my turn to talk about the greatest drinking water, bathing water, water period I have in my home, all brought to me by the Connecticut water system. Connecticut, I've had it for years. Uh, you've heard me perhaps boasting about it before. Uh, Connecticut, I can't speak highly enough of it. Um, just from the top, no electricity. That's good. Uses very little salt. And just a little background, uh, where I live along the Rum River, north of Anoka, uh, the water when I bought that home, uh, full of iron, stained everything, uh, and it didn't smell very good either. Uh, the Connecticut folks came in, put a system in there. Uh, all of the iron stain went away. The odor went away. And in, and in its place, I ended up with great drinking water right at the, at the uh, kitchen sink. Uh, or great water for showers, et cetera. I just can't say enough about Connecticut. So check them out at... Uh, Connecticut.com. Did you know that a propane gas furnace lifespan averages 20 years, while electric heat pumps only last about 14 years? And propane furnaces work in all temperatures while delivering warm and consistent heat in your home. Why buy two heating systems when propane furnace can do it all? Lasts longer, works better, and costs less. These things and more are being done today with propane, the right energy right now. I um, I believe that you see all sorts of emotions. I have to, you know, just share the, the emotion that we had when I first had the first sturgeon on and I have had the opportunity to reel in some, you know, some big muskies and it's always such a right. thrill. And yep. when I started reeling in the sturgeon and the pole is completely bent over like a horseshoe and this <laughs> sturgeon is running, I mean, running down the river and you, you reel it in, you reel it in and reel it in and you get it close to the boat. And, you know, to my naivety, I thought, well, you know, I'm almost done. And sure <laughs> enough, as soon as <laughs> the, uh, the sturgeon gets it slightly close to the boat, it starts running again. And I, I just started laughing. I mean, I, and Dan, you know, had the same experience. Dan is 
Um, you know, his, the most fishing he's done is bass and walleye and, you know, some smaller species. So this was his very first experience with a large fish. And I, he was also laughing at, you know, how far they were running. Cause I think you have so much lactic acid building up in your body at that point. Cause you're just fighting this fish that you have not, instead of like being in pain, you laugh. <laughs> so that was <laughs> our experience. And we just had the best time because we, we almost couldn't believe we had to start the fight over again because there it goes at least, you know, 100 feet out. We're like, oh, my goodness, we have to reel this thing in again. But um, so it is a wild experience and it's so much fun. And I, you know, it, it definitely is a bucket list item. And the best part about fishing with you is that um, with all of your experience, I, I believe that you don't you guarantee at least one virgin on the end of your line? I mean, is it part of your, your experience? Yep. A hundred percent. I mean, a couple things to that. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously, you know, I'm in my 20th year of guiding. I started my own company four years ago and I just, I just, you know, I want people to feel comfortable and to know that they're going to catch a fish. Um, you know, we all struggle. I've had some slow days where I get, you know, one or two, but if, if you never did catch a fish and it hasn't happened yet in the four years, but if you ever did, I would feel terrible. So I would want you to come back on me. So I do guarantee it. I haven't had to, <laughs> I haven't had to give that free trip yet. I'm sure it's going to happen maybe tomorrow now that we're talking about it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, 100% guarantee if you come out, you're going to hold a sturgeon 100%. Um, and if we don't have it in our eight hours, I will stay out until dark to do it for you. So That is incredible. I'm telling you, I think you've got to be the only fishing guide in all of history that guarantees a fish. I mean, I think anybody, I would hope that when you sign up to go fishing, no matter where it is in the world and you're hiring a guide, there is just no guarantees, right? Like there are so many things that come into play when you're trying to land a fish and you may have a, a great fish on the other line and, and it may get off the end of the line as soon as it gets yep. close to the boat. And that actually happened to us um, with mm-hmm. Dan's fish. And he put a lot of sweat and, and tears into reeling that puppy <laughs> in. And all of a sudden, right at the, at the last minute, um, you know, it got off the line, which happens. So the fact that you guarantee an experience with a sturgeon to land a sturgeon, I think is pretty incredible. Um, and it also shows that um, your level of guide services is, is so top notch. It's so professional. Um, and, and one thing that I loved about the experience and part of the, my favorite part was the, just the conservation effort that, um, not only do you learn when you go fishing with you, but also you get to participate in, um, some of the conservation things that go on when you do catch a sturgeon. So do you want to like talk, let's chat a little bit about like what, the conservation efforts are happening with white sturgeon because they were, um, as I was reading, they were nearly wiped out in the early 1900s from being overfished. So um, there's been a lot of great right. work done over the years to make sure they're a healthy population. Yeah, good point because I was actually just doing some reading on some of the old history on sturgeon and how much tonnage they brought out of the river. And it was just crazy how many fish they they commercially harvested not knowing these were all you know 50 to 150 year old fish right it's basically like taking old growth forest out and just expecting it to come back it just doesn't work that way when it's that old so 
um, basically, you know, 25 years ago, let's say, there was a big die-off of fish, um, big fish that washed up on shore on the Fraser River. And the province was like, whoa, you know, what's happening? And uh, that's what kind of launched the whole conservation side and the tagging program. Because up to that date, they really had no data on sturgeon. And um, that's that kill-off kind of signified, a, you know, kind of some alarm bells. So then basically the, the province and employed some of their own to go out and try and catch these fish and figure out what was going on. Okay, well, let's catch them, let's tag them, let's see how many they are. Problem is, they're not experts in that field. So they caught some fish, but it's a very slow process to catch a few here and there. Um, so then they thought they would start a society, or a separate society started, and they employed some of the guides, not employed by money financially, but just asked some of the guides, would you be willing to participate if we supplied the, you know, the, the tags and the, and the scanners and kind of showed you what we're after? And a lot of the guides jumped on board. Uh, some obviously didn't. They didn't want to be bothered you know, with the time and the effort to do it. Um, obviously, I jumped on board right away. I started tagging in 2004, my second or third year of guiding. And, um, you know, we're able to collect all this data for the province. And then they take that data and now they get so much more data than they could ever get by just trying to do it themselves. And then they can go, oh, look, we got this many fish. This is our recapture rate. You know, it's just overwhelming amount of data. Um, so that combined with catch and release has just been kind of a great partnership together with, with the guides. And there's, there's other recreational fishermen and indigenous and some other people who do it. But really the guides get about 95% of the data for the province. So it's, it's been great. I think we've tagged close to 72,000 sturgeon since then. Oh my goodness. That's incredible. Yeah. So what type of data or data are they collecting? Are they, do they, do they monitor like migration patterns? Are they trying to figure out where they would be spawning and that type of data? Are they, what are they, yeah. what, are they so, what are they monitoring, I guess? So the original part of that was for kind of just what's the population, you know, and where are they being caught? So on a regular day when I'm guiding, I have a tag sheet. And like, for example, when we went out, we caught a fish. I'm writing the date. And then we're writing the river kilometer we caught it. And if it's already tagged, we still write the length, the girth. And if it's not tagged, we would tag the fish and write the length and girth. So they're able to track not only uh, growth rates, but where these fish are traveling. So as far as the spawning goes, that's different. That's a little more complicated. There's other studies that I've been lucky to be part of where you know, we do acoustic tagging where we, you know, catch up fish over six feet. We put acoustic tag and then it would be, you know, stitched back up, sent back in the river. And then when it travels up and down, it sets off receivers as it goes by. Um, okay. So lots of studies on sturgeon on the river, like so, so many. But the general data is, is just, you know, catching the fish, recording the tag number, tagging it if it's not tagged, length, girth, river kilometer and date. So... Yeah, I think we've got 170,000 samples of sturgeon. So just think of how much data they have. It's it's like an insane amount 
of data. So if you're into that, it's just like, yeah. That is incredible. And, have. and when um, you're tagging, these are like microchips. So how, explain the tagging process. How, um, how do you actually tag a sturgeon? Because they, well, first we, you never take them out of the water, right? You have like a little cradle that they um, go right. in when you catch one. So they're always in the water. And I believe that's part of um, legally, you, A, you don't want to take them out of the water, but legally, are you not allowed to take them out of the water? Is that part of um, the conservation effort as well? Yeah, that's a good question, a good point, because basically an adult sturgeon, they don't want lifted out of the water. A juvenile sturgeon, anything under four feet, you're allowed to lift up for pictures because it's not, you know, fully mature. There's no, you know, no chance it's pregnant or it's a male carrying sperm uh so they they want those fish left in the water smaller ones you're allowed to take out quickly for picture put put back in as far as the tag goes it's a pit tag so it's about the size of a grain of rice and we implement that just behind the skull on the left hand side just under the skin so that tag goes under the skin and then the next time someone catches it they wave that scanner over and it should give a number like it did for us um, oh, okay and I mean, the data is crazy. Like most people think, oh, they get caught every day, every week. This tagging program's been going for 22 to 25 years. Most adult sturgeon don't get caught, you know, within the same year. So really? most, yes, most, I'm talking larger sturgeon. So sure. um, like ours, I would have to look at the data, but you know, most fish get caught once every one to four years let's say and several that i've caught i look at the history and i go man this fish hasn't been seen for 10 15 even 20 years serious i was gonna ask you that like you catch the same fish you know a couple times a week you know how often are they are they really feeding very rare very rare incredible Yeah. yeah and and it's like like let's just say the top 10 biggest fish i've ever caught I fish those areas all the time. I've never seen them, never heard of them. It's almost like the bigger they are, the wiser they are, the smarter they are. They hear the boat, they hear, you know, they hear the gear going down and they just know instinctually they know. Now when you're younger and smaller, again, hate to say it, but like humans, we yeah. make more <laughs> mistakes, right? We're not we're not as wise. So those fish have a tendency to get caught a few more times early and midlife. But as they get older, they get caught way less frequently and that's just kind of the the natural progression of how that works so it's really fascinating and that's what's cool about the tagging program there's so much data and that's how they get the mortality rate too so if people are thinking oh well you know catching fish is very harmful you know and a lot of them die because i get a lot of feedback on social media about you know leave them alone you're killing them and here's the thing certain fish have a high mortality hundred, you know, a hundred percent. I agree with that. Sturgeon are built different. They are hardy. There is a 0.012 mortality rate for a sturgeon caught with rod and reel. So basically you are not harming them in any way. They're continuing to grow. They're continuing to spawn. We have tons of new juveniles in the river. We've never seen so many adult sturgeon in our tagging program. Um, you know, we always face lots of issues, you know, habitat, uh, all sorts of stuff, um, you know. Sure, clean water. Yeah, 
there's always, you know, issues that we face, but catching sturgeon and the data we have, uh, there's no correlation to any uh, growth rates being uh, declined or any significant um, mortality. Like I say, 0.012 for rod and reel caught sturgeon is next to nothing. And the best part is that data comes primarily from the guides and volunteers. So I always tell people, listen, if there is any damaging to the fish, any high mortality, I would be the first to stop this fishery uh, right away. I can go do anything I want. There's a lot of jobs out there. So if I'm going to make a living off of this fish, you know, I'm happy to give back as much as I can while we're still, you know, fishing for these sturgeon. Because eventually, like a lot of things, you know, it will come to an end. Um, so I don't want to see that because, you know, my kids want to fish and hopefully their kids and I want this to go on for generations. We just need to be really responsible about how we handle the fish and take care of them, which I think we are now. The province has done a great job on, you know, putting out a very, very strict handling practice, um, you know, so the fish are left in the water, handled correctly. And um, I think, you know, over the next several decades, we're going to see a big boom of sturgeon back in the Fraser River. Come visit Oliver Kelly Farm near Elk River, where you can learn about the past and the present of agriculture in Minnesota on a real working 1860s farm. Explore the historic homestead of Oliver H. Kelly, founder of the first successful national farming organization. Also, get up close with the animals, the gardens, fields, and natural areas. Step back in time and experience life on a farm over 150 years ago. Learn more at mnhs.org slash kellyfarm. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Hey everybody, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. It's time to plan your fall hunt in North Dakota. Get this, with an estimated 3.4 million breeding ducks, North Dakota's central region is prime habitat for hunting waterfowl. In fact, right now, the state's breeding duck index sits 38% above the long-term average. And the water's up, too. The spring water index is up 616% over 2021. That's a good thing. Now, when you consider that North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting, guess what? You've got an outdoor oasis. For the latest information about public hunting lands and private land open to sportsmen and women, visit North Dakota Game and Fish Department. Bag your limit this fall in North Dakota. Visit LegendaryND.com. How are the numbers today, you know, compared to, you know, obviously, well, the early 1900s are almost wiped out, but is there a really healthy population today or is, are they still in a point of like, no, we have work to do? 
I would say, well, both. I mean, I, I sure. would say that the population is, is healthy, but there's still some areas of concern. And, um, you know, we need to be very vigilant um, on how we move forward, you know, protecting spawning grounds, um, you know, how we handle these fish, you know, making sure that there's not, you know, uh, people going in and, you know, taking land beside where they spawn. There's, you know, a lot of, you know, delicacy around the Fraser River and its tributaries and spawning grounds. So I think, you know, in this day and age, we have no excuse really to mess up anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, I, I would say, you know, it's a protected species. One of the biggest misconceptions is that they're endangered. Uh, some places around the world, yes, they are. Here on the Fraser River, we have a very, I would say, healthy and abundant population. And, um, you know, there's no major concerns right now. So, um, yeah, I just think that, you know, years, it's such an old living fish too. Like we're talking just over two decades of work. When a fish can live to 100 plus years. Isn't that wild? We, we just don't know a ton about them. Like, like we could have 10 great years of incredible spawning and spawning habitat and things to go right. And our population could multiply 10, 20 X. We just, we just don't know enough right now. So what we know is that we just need to kind of like be very, very vigilant at how we proceed. So true. And you know, the fact that they're prehistoric um, is helpful because if they've, they've lived this many years in <laughs> uh, on our planet, they hopefully have a, a good fighting chance to keep going um, but an interesting fact about them is that they don't reproduce until they are 15 years of age for the males and over 20 years old for the females. Yeah. And that's on the low end, I would say, wow. for the Fraser River. I would say it's, yeah, minimum, I would say more like 20 and females, even 25 to 30. And here's the thing. The females don't even spawn every year. So a lot of people think every year females can take up to 10 years in between spawning. Uh, typically it's like, let's say five, six, seven years, but you know, some might want to spawn and then just kind of abort, you know, water temperature is not right. This is not right, whatever. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And I mean, they put out a lot of eggs, like a female will put out half a million eggs and, um, you know, they spawn in the highest, dirtiest water, you know, of the year. So we have no dams on the Fraser river, which is why we have such an amazing, healthy population in my opinion because they need that high water uh and fast flowing water to spawn so if you have dams and the water is stagnant or dead when they need to spawn obviously that's not good for reproducing that's not natural okay so, yeah they're really really cool fish that way the, the fact that they can take that many years to spawn and they're broadcast spawners so it's not like they they spawn and cover the the eggs with gravel the eggs are very very sticky and they just basically roll down the bottom of the river and, and stick underneath generally cobble so bigger rocks that won't move in high water is what they're after okay. yeah. that's fascinating because when i um and dan and i pulled up to the river and we saw how fast that water was moving and how yeah, high it was, it was high yeah i mean yeah. it's a little intimidating when i was like i don't know how we are ever going to fish on water that's moving this fast i mean it was like Whitewater rapids moving fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was crazy high. And it was a very high water year too. So, I mean, yeah, if, if 
if you didn't know any better, you would just go, you know, that's too high. And I know a lot of people that just don't fish when it's that high because it's intimidating and you basically have to retrain yourself to learn an entire new river, where they leave, where they live, what they feed on, how to catch them. So, yeah. That was wild. And then sure enough, we, we caught a great fish. But the fact that they spawn and mo- water moving that fast, I'm surprised the eggs can cling onto anything. But um, but that is, is so cool. So, I, you know, yeah. to date, this fishing trip is um, on the top of my list is the most memorable. And just, like, yes. you're just saying that because I'm I on am the other not. Yes. I am not. I'm fascinated. <laughs> like, I've just been fascinated with this fish. And I think they have so many unique you know, features and facts about them that I find so fascinating. And this is why I, you know, I find so much joy in learning about nature in itself because that they all have such a unique um, place on our planet and just how um, they live or migrate or reproduce and all these things that people, you know, unless you really kind of dive into the details, you don't necessarily understand the importance of protecting um, their environment. So they're able to thrive. And that just, you know, once you learn all the details, you're like, Oh my goodness, we really need to protect, um, the places that they live. So, um, it was, you know, part of the experience with you is not only do you have an incredible, you know, lifetime catch, you know, to, to see a sturgeon up close, but also you learn so much about the conservation just by taking along with you and no pun intended, but Taking fish. <laughs> right. That's great. Well, that's part of it. I mean, I, I want people to, when they come fishing with me, you know, that's part of it. Yes, I'll catch you fish. But along the way, I want you to understand the importance of conservation, respecting the fish, appreciation appreciation for the fish. Um, that means a lot to me. So, um, you know, to hear you say that, it's really, really nice when I get people that, that get that and understand that part of it because you know it's 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 just so nice you know for me as a guide my greatest joy comes when I see appreciation in other people for the species for the fish so that means a lot hearing that oh it was such a joy to spend the day with you and um my favorite video is releasing that large fish right back into the water and walking (laughs) them away it was like that almost brought tears to my eyes Oh, that's great. Like, well, I, I did a TikTok video on that too, I think. So it was a great release. I mean, to get it in clear water like that's so neat. Like so, so neat to see that fish swim away in the clear water. It was really, really cool. So um, for our listeners who are interested in uh, making the trek to British Columbia, Canada, to spend a day yeah. fishing, where can they find you? Um, well, I'm uh, on social media. Um, yes. They can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Eve Basson Sturgeon Co. And if they want to email me, my my email is eve at fraserriversturgeon.com. So those are a few different ways to get hold of me. Um, one of the different things about my company is I'm not trying to grow my company, um, so I do all the trips myself as the owner operator. So um, I don't have a lot of dates. <laughs> no, I do you about don't. 240 <laughs> days a year, and um, you know they sell out obviously quite quickly. But I'm always gonna make an effort to get people out, even if it's for a half day after my full day trip. I just love meeting new people, 
love showing them, you know, our sturgeon and just what a great fishery it is. So, yeah, come on out if you want to catch, you know, that bucket list lifetime fish. I'll I'll make sure it happens for you. Oh, you got to do it. And just uh, for our listeners, um, Eve spells his name Y-V-E-S, Bisson, which is B-I-S-S-O-N. So if you're looking for him on Instagram or social media, it's Y-V-E-S. And also um, your website, which they can book a trip there, is FraserRiverSturgeon.com. And uh, before we started, um, you told me that someone had given you the nickname um, Fish on Bisson. And I think it's yes. perfect, perfect name for you. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's need to happen, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Well, oh, thank I'm you just so much. Happy. Yeah. Oh well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you just just got off the water today. <laughs> You're a very very busy man, and I appreciate you taking the time to chat with um, me and our listeners to learn more about um, sturgeon and, and the conservation effort and how to um, book a trip of a lifetime. So I personally highly recommend if you're thinking about white sturgeon fishing, this is the place to go. Don't even look anywhere else. It's, it's <laughs> the place to go. And it's beautiful. I mean, you're looking at, um, you know, the river is beautiful. You're looking at mountains while you're fishing. I mean, it's just a great day. So all right. Special thanks to Minnesota Propane Association, Hewitt Docks, Connecticut, Star Bank, Minnesota Historical Society, and North Dakota Tourism. Also, we'll be recording a live podcast at the Minnesota State Fair on August 25th. Go to our Facebook page for more information on that. And last but not least, introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm-hmm.